0: Continuing our series in Isaiah, Uh, we're continuing our series in Isaiah where we're looking at how the coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah, is good news for a worn-out world. So we've talked about what that looks like, what that means. How uh, our world is very exhausted and needs rest, and it needs—it's just straight up worn out. And so I'm worn out. I've been worn out probably since I had kids, but 2020, March 2020, accelerated that. It makes me feel like I just did 10 years of life in a couple like a year and a half, almost two years, which is crazy to even think about. So life is very tiresome. It's exhausting. And so we wanted to talk about how Jesus is good news for that. And so uh, whether you're here today and you're visiting for the first time or you uh, have a church background now, we're just thankful that you're here and we hope that you experience the rest of Jesus while you are here. Now, before I continue, I do want to thank you, those of you who donated gifts to whosoever gospel mission that gives to kids in need so kids can actually have a Christmas this year. We were able to actually, with Third Reformed, to donate over 100 gifts. So give yourselves a round of applause. Way to go. May Jesus' name be praised. Um, But we do those things because Jesus was generous with us. We are generous with others. And so we are continue to be generous on Christmas Eve This Friday at 6.30, we're going to take a special offering. All the offering money is going to also, that money is also going to go to whosoever gospel missions. They continue to do their work with children and those in need. So please come, be prepared to be generous, and give to that. I also do want to invite you and challenge you to bring your friends to Christmas Eve. That's probably one of the easiest times to bring somebody to church. As I said before, if B101 is playing songs about Jesus, your friends—it's easy to have a conversation to your friends about Jesus. So invite them, ask them to come with you uh, to Christmas Eve. And uh, Third Reform does an excellent job with music, and they're going to be playing the traditional Christmas music. And we are going to be walking through passages of Scripture together and hear from God's Word together from uh, all the pastors at both churches. And I think it will be a really nice time. And we'll end the time in candlelight which is electric candlelight. So parents, do not worry. You're not going to burn your kids' fingers or this, we're going to burn this church down. So all that being said, there's a number, those are a number of things. Isaiah 11 is where we're going to be focusing in on today. And we're going to be in Isaiah for a couple more weeks. And then uh, Steve mentioned vision. Uh, we're going to talk about the vision of the church, where we are, where we're going. And that's going to be on January 9th. And then after that, uh, January 16th. Uh, we're going to be jumping into the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, that's where we're going. I hope you'll join us for that as well. But today I want to talk about how Jesus is the perfect king who brings perfect peace to our lives and our world. Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, is the perfect king who brings perfect peace to our lives and our world. And so I want to talk about why like, peace is so difficult, why per- perfect peace just seems so difficult, and I want to talk about what peace requires and what peace does. So what I would like to do is look at the end of Isaiah 11 and talk about the difficulty of perfect peace. Listen, look at this picture. Listen to this picture. See this picture in your heads. This is what God promises at some point. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Perfect peace is difficult to imagine, isn't it? Because the peace you and I know ends. My wife and I had opportunity to buy a new house last year, and we moved into our new home, and one of my favorite things in our new home is lighting a fire in our fireplace like the light of fire in my fireplace, and I like to sit in a chair where I can perfectly look at the fire, and I like to have like a glass of Irish water, let's just say, as I sip on that and watch the fire. I love that moment. I I look forward to that moment. We buy way too much firewood for that moment. And in that moment, I feel at peace, I feel at rest, and I feel safe. And everything about the world feels right in that moment. And I have this sense of completeness. But every parent, particularly, can tell you that that peace ends eventually. Somebody will scream out for dad eventually. Eventually. Somebody will be fighting with one of their siblings, something will happen, something that they, if they spent five more seconds, they could figure it out on their own, but for some reason they need dad to do it now. Or the glass of water runs out, or the fire burns out. All the peace that you and I experience in every circumstance of life, in every way that we do, the sense of peace and completeness we get ends at some point that sense of peace and completeness that I had was over in a moment. But what if I could have peace all the time? Like, what if you could have peace in your life all the time? What would it look like to have that perfect peace? And that's what Isaiah 11 is pointing us to. A picture here of perfect peace. A time when there's no more conflict and everything's in harmony and everything is complete. Imagine a world with me where there's no conflict. Imagine a world where there's no conflict in your family. Imagine a Christmas without awkward topics that you're trying to avoid or elephants in the room. Imagine no more conflict in our world. No more war. No more terrorism. No more hatred for those who are on the other side of the political aisle from you. Imagine no more health conflict. Imagine no more cancer, or COVID, or diabetes, or exercise-induced asthma. Imagine no more mental conflict, no more anxiety, no more mental disorders of any kind. Imagine no more relational conflict. Imagine a world without divorce or breakups or what so many of us long for, a world without abuse. See, Isaiah isn't describing Disney's Zootopia come to life. The animated film where Judy Hopps is the first bunny police officer, where prey and predator live together in harmony and where anybody can be Anything. That's what Judy Hopps says about Zootopia. This is a real picture of God's peace. This is a real picture of perfect peace that God promises. And the biblical word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. In the New Testament, it's irene. That's the Greek word for it. It's the same word, but the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is primarily written in Greek. But shalom or irene are the removal of conflict on some level, but it's more than that. It's better than that. The biblical peace, the biblical peace that God is talking about is more than just conflict being gone. It's greater, it's deeper, it's wider than all that. Shalom refers to a bunch of complex pieces coming together in completeness. So it's like when you have to juggle your family's crazy schedules to get together for Christmas. In your family, you have a nurse and you have a police officer and you have a teenager who wants to see her boyfriend. And you just want everybody to come together for one hour to sit by the tree and open gifts. That's all you want. But once, And once your family comes together, those complex schedules, those complex pieces are all in your home, by the tree, opening gifts. That is shalom. A bunch of complex pieces brought together into completeness. So Job talks about this in Job chapter 5, verse 24. He talks about how his tent is full of shalom. Why? Because when he counts up his sheep, none are missing complex pieces coming together. So you have all these complex pieces being brought together into completeness. Persons, relationships, situations, and even sheep all coming together in harmony, in completeness, in peace. But as soon as some of those pieces start to break away, shalom begins to break away. Maybe think about shalom like the game Jenga. The most stable part of that game is what? When you set it up. And it's a lot of fun, right? It's a lot of fun to play that game and start pulling blocks. But there's peace and shalom when all the blocks are together in harmony, when all the blocks of the tower are stacked together in completeness. But as soon as you start to pull one block, the tower becomes less stable, right? And you watch it wobble as people continue to pull block after block after block. And you hope it doesn't fall. But the more blocks you take out, the more likely it's going to fall until it eventually comes crashing down. And game over. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created this world. This world is in complete harmony. It's in shalom. The earth was a place of perfect peace and he created the world and took all of its complex pieces, plant life, fish, birds, lions, humans, and God walked with them. Heaven and earth are together in this harmonious ecosystem. And so Eden, the Garden of Eden was a place of shalom, it was a place of peace on earth. But what did Adam and Eve do in chapter 3? They gave in to the devil's temptation and sins and brought sin and death into our world. And shalom, one block starts to break away. And now we have pain and conflict and abuse and mental health issues, family drama and war because the complex pieces are no longer in completeness, they're in disarray. And creates this unstable world. Adam and Eve were the first to pull the blocks from the tower. But as time has gone on, we humans couldn't help ourselves, we just kept pulling blocks. So that every time you and I sin, what sin is is rebelling or resisting God's intended shalom for our world. We pull a block from the tower making it less and less stable until eventually what happens? Shalom and our world comes crashing down. Every sin is a disruption of shalom. Every sin takes a block from the tower and breaks up the peace that God desires for our world and we, the complex pieces, instead of living in completeness like we were designed to live, We choose time and time again to break shalom, and what will eventually happen is our world will come crashing down around us. So rebel against God's design for your sexuality, you break shalom. When you resist reconciliation with another person, you break shalom. When you stop associating and resist associating with those who look, act, believe, or vote differently than you, you break shalom. Shalom. When you resist the prompting of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel or invite a friend to church, you break shalom. When you rebel against God's call for you to be generous with your finances, you break shalom. When you refuse to serve or you don't welcome children or you ignore the poor or when you ignore your wife, you break shalom. Every time you or I resist or rebel against what God wants, we break shalom. We break the perfect peace and what i want for you and what i want for myself is to see the severity of every action every sin that we have and how that breaks something more cosmic than just myself it breaks shalom god intended for the world to be at peace but every time i sin i pull a block away And then I wonder why the world comes crashing down around me. So instead of a generous world, we have a world of greed. Instead of harmonious marriages, we get rapidly growing divorce rates. Instead of inviting others to be surrounded by the love of a community of faith, we get more and more people polling that they're lonely. Or a number of men who say they don't have any friends. See, we pull the blocks from the tower and then we wonder why the world comes crashing down around us because we're selfishly yanking blocks out. So what does perfect peace require then? Like if we're going to get perfect peace, what does it require? we we'll look at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. What I want to show you here is that, a perfect, that perfect peace requires a king and a kingdom. What Isaiah prophesies is that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse to bring about perfect peace that he pictures at the end of Isaiah 11. So we're back at the beginning of Isaiah 11. He's talking about this king that's coming. It's this perfect peace. It will be a Davidic king with special characteristics. And look at the characteristics that he talks about. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He's a Davidic king who's fit for the throne because the Holy Spirit rests on him. That's why he's fit for the throne. He has these special characteristics. Wisdom and understanding like Solomon. Counsel and might for war like Gideon. And he's a great spiritual leader with knowledge and fear, which means reverence of the Lord, like David. This king is Solomon, Gideon, and David, all in one. So verses 3 through 5, it says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes, but what his, what his ears hear. but righteousness. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins see unlike earthly kings emperors or politicians who take advantage of the poor and meek this king is the, of perfect peace is a fair judge and his coming is good news to the poor and the meek And righteousness, which the word is actually justice, and faithfulness to God will be part of who he is. And what his kingdom is like. This perfect king with a perfect kingdom of perfect peace. And we saw in Isaiah chapter 9 that this perfect king is Jesus, the prince of peace, whose perfect kingdom will have no end. That's what 9, 6 through 7 says. And only he is able to bring about perfect peace and a perfect kingdom. Only Jesus is able to do that. But I want you to pause for a second and consider this. Perfect peace requires a perfect king and a perfect kingdom. You cannot get the king without his kingdom. So what happens is oftentimes we look for the perfect kingdom, but we don't want the perfect king. And what happens there is you become arrogant about the work of peace. You see God wants peace for our world, but you think you can do it without the king. And this is typically what happens in secular circles. So you think about John Legend's song, Happy Christmas, War is Over, where he says, so this is Christmas. I'm not as good as John Legend, so I'm not going to sing the whole thing. But over and over again, you hear children talking about war is over if you want it, Right? right? War is over if you want it. He says, for weak and for strong, the rich and the poor ones, the world is so wrong. So happy Christmas for black and for white, for yellow and red ones, let's all stop the fight. This is wolf dwelling with the lamb stuff. But John Legend desires this peace he believes we can accomplish together if we want it without a king." It's a kingdom without the king, and this will end up leading us to arrogance. And we'll end up saying things like, Jesus is just one of the options for kings. But we can stop war and conflict and bring completeness to everyone and everything through politicians and politics. Through social programs or through education. All on our own. And these are all good things, right? Politicians and policies most times, social programs most times, education. These are all good things most of the time. But if you attempt to bring about the kingdom of peace without submission to the prince of peace, what ends up happening is you'll get angry when all the hard work that you've done doesn't lead to peace. So what ends up happening in that moment, you find someone to blame, where you find people to blame and you label them as stupid or ignorant or uneducated and you're forced to weed them out. And how will you do that? Through the very things you wanted to bring about peace through. Through politicians and policies, through social programs, through education, or worse, maybe even violence. See, when you want the kingdom without the king, all you're left with is to try to make this happen, and when people stand in your way, what do you have to do? You've got to get them out of there. You have to remove them. So you vote for certain people, or push certain policies, or you'll have certain social programs to keep people out. Or through education, you'll try to change all their minds or their kids' minds. So eventually, you'll just weed all those ignorant, uneducated people out of here. And if that doesn't work... Violence is your only option. To me, that doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? But then you can go with perfect peace and no perfect kingdom. See, we can also make the mistake to believe we can achieve perfect peace with a perfect king, but without his perfect kingdom. And that's what often happens in religious circles, in places like here. We rightly see that Jesus is the one who brings about peace on earth. So we, make people, we invite people to submit their lives to him. And everyone should do that. And that is a good thing. It's absolutely necessary, which should put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to rescue you from your sins. And that will reconcile you to God. And because of that, you now have peace with God through the work of the perfect king who saved you by his blood that he poured out on the cross. But you can't have the perfect king without a perfect kingdom. If you're going to have perfect peace, you need both. Shalom is all the complex pieces coming together into completeness. It's for the whole world and everyone and everything in it. That's what verses 6-9 is telling us. And so what happens there where we have the perfect king, but we don't have the kingdom, what happens is we can become apathetic in our fight and our work for shalom. We say, peace with God, sure, we're on board with that. But peace between humans, eh. Peace in our structures and systems, eh. Peace around the globe, eh. Like, it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back, so why bother even trying? So we don't care about how our actions affect others. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. So why fight against racism? Why worry about the way we treat refugees? Why care if another kid in the class is getting picked on? Why bother getting close to people who think, behave, live, act, or vote differently than me? And so, or we, what we do is we ignore the poor, we hoard our resources for ourselves. Why? Because we're apathetic toward peace. We say, we submit to the king, yes, but we don't care to do the work of his kingdom. It's interesting that in Romans, both of these are, the letter to the Romans, both of these are there. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but also Romans 12:18, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all." See, the peace we have in our vertical relationship with God moves us towards peace in our horizontal relationships with each other and with others. So which is interesting, like Paul after, in 1 Corinthians 15, after he lays out this great, fantastic, apologetic for the resurrection, that Jesus rose again from the dead, he ends that whole apologetic in verse 58 where he says, basically, Jesus rose from the dead, so get to work. He didn't say Jesus rose from the dead, so just sit on your hands and do nothing until he comes back. Apathy and arrogance are just two sides of the same coin because both, what they really are is fear. Fear of failure. Well, it's just easier for me to make sure I'm right with God. But peace in our world is just too hard, so I'm I'm not going to try. What's the point? Or fear of giving up control. See, we have this agenda for the world that we have to push through, but if Jesus has a say, then we got to give up control of what peace looks like for his idea of peace. And so we have to try to force our way. Or it could be fear of just fear of association, right? Like, I don't want to be seen as a liberal working for peace here on earth. What kind of hippie do you think I am? Or I don't want to be a fundamentalist telling people to submit to the king. I don't want to be called one of those guys. Which would you describe to be your attitude? Arrogance or apathy towards peace? Both attitudes destroy shalom, and without the perfect king and his perfect kingdom, you'll never achieve perfect peace. Because what does perfect peace do? In Luke chapter 2, Shepherds are out in the field watching over their flocks and all of a sudden angel of the Lord shows up and a multitude of the heavenly hosts cry out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, Irene, shalom among those with whom he is pleased. Perfect peace changes everything. It's not pick and choose peace, it's everything. Everything. The perfect king, Jesus, brings about perfect peace on earth. Peace, the angels say. Perfect peace to our world. But they also say, with whom God is pleased. Perfect peace with God. King and Kingdom. And so when we speak about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is God's rule on earth as it is in heaven. It's the realization that God is the one who's in charge of our lives and our world, and the desire to see Him in charge here on earth as much as He's in charge there in heaven. So when we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is, God, the way you rule up there, rule down here too. That's what we want. So we see God's rule come to earth in Revelation 21 and then in Revelation 22 there's this great picture there where I'm not going to have a chance to read it all but the tree of life is there. It's yielding all kinds of fruit. The nations are all being healed. Listen to that idea of peace in Revelation 22. See, the book ends of history have us back Have us in Eden. Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, where are the people of God? In Eden. So the goal of the perfect the king of perfect peace is to bring about his kingdom of peace by bringing heaven to earth, to bring us back to Eden where heaven comes down to earth and we're all living in shalom again. Everything is as is intended to be. It's full of the knowledge of the Lord as Isaiah tells us and all the blocks of the tower are in place. It's the greenest grass, the bluest sky, the warmest sunshine, the best food, the best drinks, the best apple pie you've ever had. No one and no thing can hurt you. Hallelujah. And it's a place where the most vulnerable on earth children play with animals, poisonous snakes, like they play with puppies. The most vulnerable people on earth. If, I have a friend, Stephen Wood, who's at Liberty River Wards. He talks about how this picture of like how the world is a scary place for kids, not because of like, crime and stuff like that. He said, like, because of the bathroom's at Target. So think about being a kid trying to use one of those toilets at Target. They're huge. You had to climb up on them. You could fall in them. And then when you flush them, they're insanely loud. They were not created for children. But then we have a world now where when Jesus returns and he brings heaven to earth and he changes and fixes everything, where it's a safe place for children, that they're playing with cobras like they're playing with golden retrievers now. Unbelievable. Shalom, a, all the complex pieces brought together into completeness. Shalom, a perfect kingdom of perfect peace under a perfect king of perfect peace. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has started putting the blocks back together. And he starts, it starts by us putting our faith and trust in him. And then we're called now to do the work of Shalom, to begin to bring about a world of completeness under the banner of Christ, until he finishes the work. We aren't called to be apathetic or arrogant, but we're called to be actively patient. As we work for shalom by loving God and others, as we watch the effects of that touch everything in our lives and our world, but as we wait for Jesus to return and finish the work. It's what theologians call the already not yet. Peace on earth in heaven is as in heaven is starting now. And peace on earth as in heaven when Jesus brings heaven down to earth then. We're not there yet. We should never get arrogant to think that we are there. We won't be there until Jesus gets back. But doesn't mean we shouldn't start working towards shalom now, shalom now and shalom then, completeness now and full completeness then, perfect king and perfect kingdom now and perfect king and kingdom then. So don't be apathetic towards peace. Don't be arrogant about accomplishing peace, but be actively patient submit to the king you need to repent of your sins every way you're pulling blocks from the tower you need to submit to the king and repent of those things ask Jesus for forgiveness give your life to him for the first time or recommit to him again today and you have peace with God and once you have this inner completeness this peace with God in your life you can start to work for outer completeness for our world and the ways to do that are simple. There's are simple things that we can do, like show love to our neighbors, even if we think they won't show us love back. Drop off cookies to your neighbors, even if they're not going to give you cookies back. Or be generous with your finances and give them to the church and to k- take care of its people without expecting anything in return. That's being actively patient, is I give, without expecting to get anything back. I'll wait, because I'm going to see the results when Jesus comes again. But when you see someone in need, don't stop, don't just blow past them. Stop. You see a homeless guy in the street, stop, acknowledge him, say hello, and maybe even give him some change from your pocket. Or be hospitable to those who aren't like you. Invite them over and ask them, And listen to them. Ask them about what they believe. Why they act a certain way. Why they behave a certain way. The things that they do. Why they vote the way they do. And you might actually learn something. But it's complex pieces. The way we vote. The way we behave. The way we act. The way we look. It's all complex. But we can be part of saying, Hey, I'm going to be someone who brings shalom. I'm going to bring a little bit of completeness to this moment. So we have to submit to the king. Of perfect peace and work for His kingdom of perfect peace, but we won't see complete it now. We have to wait until Jesus returns, and He will. And on that wonderful day when Jesus comes again, we'll have reason to celebrate. Because on that day, Isaiah nine the end says, "The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea." And you and I will see Him face to face. And our perfect king will be with us. And in that moment, our world will be brought into the perfect peace it was always intended to have. So let's look forward to that day. Let's be actively patient as we wait for it. And let's pray. Jesus, we look forward to the day where you will come and you will fully bring shalom and bring all these complex pieces back into place. But if you're here today, and and if you're here today and you are realizing that you're just pulling blocks in the tower and you're never asking Jesus for forgiveness and your life is incomplete and it's falling apart and you just need forgiveness, just silently ask Jesus for it right now. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the ways that I break shalom. I'm sorry for resisting you or rebelling against you. Forgive me. And for the rest of us, Father, who claim your name, Father God, we ask that we would be people of Jesus who work towards shalom, that we would have our inner shalom by being at peace with you, but also to work with it, it for it in our world. And we ask that we would trust you as we wait for it. Lord, it's not going to get fixed now. We have to wait. But let us be active while we wait. And help us be a people who bring peace on earth, we pray. Amen.